You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Van. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. We have Aussie Doc from the Aussie Doc Freedom blog. You can find her online at that email or blog address, Aussie Doc Freedom. We're really excited to have her on the show and tell us a little bit or talk to us a little bit about. Um, investors and female investors and financial literacy and all kinds of things. So, Aussie Doc, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Rochelle and Corey, for uh, having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. Good. I'm glad you're here. Yes, we're excited to talk to you. Before we start asking you a whole bunch of questions, we kind of wanted you to just give us a little bit of background on yourself. Like, tell us who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I'm a, um, a doctor, a senior doctor over in Australia. I work in emergency. Um, and I've been doing that for quite a few years. I'm from the UK originally, so I'm an immigrant to this country. Um, but I have started a finance blog um, as a little bit of a, a hobby project on the side, um, really frustrated by my initial attempts to um, engage financial professionals in Australia and uh, work out what I'm doing really with um, my finances and realizing I had to learn it all. So uh, I basically did so much research that I thought I might as well put it on a little website and and get that going as well. Yeah, get some information out to other people. Yeah, there's not that much. Yeah, I guess when did that... When did that start and I guess when did you kind of get on that mission to become more informed and take control of your own finances? Yeah, so I guess even even when I first qualified um, back in the UK, I I remember feeling like I was in a hell of a lot of debt. And I mean, in comparison with the, my US colleagues, I absolutely wasn't in a lot of debt, but it felt like a huge amount of debt at the time. Um, and that seemed quite scary and I sort of wanted to get a good start but there wasn't really anything around. I didn't actually have any money at the time. Um, so for somebody who had no money and just wanted to do the right things with their first paychecks and get into a good habit, um, there wasn't a lot around at that time. That was back in 2004 in the UK. Um, then I sort of got to the point where my income increased over here. Um, I was training and um feeling like I was becoming a proper grown-up getting to that age where you feel like you've got to be start doing responsible things and thought well again I've got to dig in and work out um what I need to do with my finances because I'm getting to that age now um so I went to a financial planner um because that seemed like the responsible thing to do um but I didn't have a great experience um the fees were very high and um I 
I sort of undid everything that I ended up signing up with with him um, and realised that I really had to understand it myself as well. Even if I was going to get professional help in, you kind of can't outsource it completely. You have to have an understanding of the finances yourself and educate yourself to know what you're doing. Um, and it's some, it is something I've always been interested in. So I've always read finance books and property investing books. Um, and so I started the blog in about August 2019 after quite a long time of it sort of just being an idea in the back of my mind. Um, and yeah, I've been going from there. I feel like you just described so many of our clients. Really? Yes. Yeah. Just people who don't necessarily have a ton of resources. They're still in training, but they, they want to learn more and they don't really know where to turn or where to look. Yeah. I find like in, in Australia, until you've got a lot of money, it's not really worth seeing a financial advisor because the fees are very high and a lot of the rules that have been put in place to protect consumers actually increase the prices mass massively and so it could seem to compound the problem. Exactly that. I don't know what the situation is like in the US for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little, I mean, it kind of varies, but I think that's one of the biggest deterrents is people say cost. Um, I know we have a, a program where for residents and fellows, so in their medical training, we waive fees for our time and advice and meetings for them, kind of like a goodwill, if you if you will, and, and build that relationship up and provide a good educational experience for those in training. Um, but yeah, you know, to your point, for, for some folks, if they have to pay a, a large cost, especially if they're not in a real good position to do a whole lot, it can be a big deterrent. Absolutely. And totally agree with your point about having an understanding, even if you don't have a passion for the subject, at least getting a general foundation so you understand why you're doing certain things. That way you can actually follow through on it. Because at the end of the day, the financial advisor is just the coach. And ultimately, you have to go out and execute the game plan. And if you don't know why or, or how you're supposed to do it, it's, it's kind of makes it more difficult. I guess it's yeah. like twin medicine. So. You wouldn't expect your patients to just completely swallow everything you say. You expect them to learn a little bit and understand why you're recommending the treatment that you are so that they um, are engaged and, and know what they're doing as well. Definitely. Absolutely. Was there anything in particular that led you to first learn more about finances? Like, I, I understand that you wanted to adult better and you wanted to just like take control of your finances. But were there any particular topics where it was just like, I'm very interested in this. I really want to learn about this. Uh, initially, it was the debt payoff from the um, I think it probably is generally debt. So it was the student loans initially um, and then taking on the mortgage. Um, and suddenly feel like I've got a huge debt again um, and being interested in getting rid of that. Yeah. There we I think go. that can be a big driver for a lot of people, especially here. Like you said, student loans here are, are pretty intense for a lot of people. And I think that's a, a big reason that people seek out advice here. Yeah. Like a nightmare. <laughs> And I think what what uh, led us to connect with you is we, we read one of your blog posts that appeared on the White Coat Investor website about financial literacy and, and you know a lot of focus on women investors, which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, 
But uh, I think a lot of the themes in that were, were studies based on the Standard & Poor, some of their research, and that uh, how overall women respondents are a little less financially literate than men in both developed and developing economies. And, you know, what, what do you think some of the reasons are for that, and, and are there ways to potentially change that? Um, in, terms, in terms of the financial literacy, um, I think it's, it is improving from other data that I've looked at. So there's been a study of schools of 15-year-olds in 115 countries that actually showed that the, the gap between males and females was very minimal at that age. Whether that changes as they get older, not sure. Um, but it does look like it has narrowed a little over the years. I think it's probably partially a, a tradition, uh, a sort of hangover from the tradition of the males going to work and earning the money and learning all about the money and the women having the more at home traditional. I think it's just taking probably time to change mindsets in that this is something that women should and can, can and should be really interested in. Um, and it, it's sort of seen as a male world still. Um, and that's certainly, I find, what I see when I see um, websites targeted at me, it's all about shopping and coupons and um, that sort of Budgeting. traditional female role things, whereas I am the primary earner and I manage all the money. I do think there's also a big lack of, of role models that are female in the finance space. Like you can see a, a lot of large tycoons that make a bunch of money, like the Jeff Bezos of the world, and there, there are not very many female equivalents to that. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see some of that, but not, not nearly as much. And there just aren't as many people that are in those positions of power that women identify with. But I think that'll start to change too over time, but it's obviously a big lag there. Yeah, hopefully there's been there's been a lot of literature in there, hasn't there, about um, how there are very few females in the sort of higher ranks of financial companies, um, and how companies have been trying to improve that, but um, they don't really know how, I don't think. And um, and despite there being a fair number of junior women, they're they're not really um, going up the ranks the same as men, um, and so it's it's hard to be what you can't see, I think, because you do follow role models. I know at work uh, with junior doctors, they all generally look for role models of the same gender. So the young female doctors look up to the older female, more experienced female doctors. Um, and if they want to have kids, particularly for women with kids, so they're looking for somebody who is living the sort of life that they want to be and, and they can identify with. And I think it's probably similar in finance. That's part of the reason that I love your blog so much, because we've interviewed a, f a few bloggers on our podcast here, and you're definitely the first female blogger and, and definitely the first female blogger that I've seen blogging about finance specifically. Like, there's lots of podcasts and blogs out there, but not a lot of people in this space. But... And it's so interesting. I don't know why people aren't more interested. <laughs> women aren't more interested. They should be. You know, women, women on average have less money than men as well. And I think um, having good financial literacy is even more critical if you don't have that much money because we actually all make financial decisions every day. Um, and the wrong, you know, making the wrong choices, even though they don't seem that significant over a long period of time, makes a huge difference. So that financial literacy is really having an impact whether you know it or not. 
<laughs> it's actually really encouraging to hear that in younger ages, it's become more, I don't know, somewhat equal, at least that that's encouraging to hear. Mm. Yeah. I know you mentioned how some of it might be rooted in just the traditional values where the man goes and works and makes the money and the woman's more of the, the caretaker at home. Like what about like it, it, among social circles? Like I know with my friends, money topics are, they come up commonly and they openly discuss, but for women, you guys can probably talk more than I can about it. But do, like, do you get like, do women talk money? Is it just still a very taboo subject? Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to generalize, but I don't, I'm a financial advisor and I don't feel like I talk about money with my female friends. And that, I think that probably says something. <laughs> I tell them, hey, I know, right? And I, I like, maybe we touch on it a tiny bit, but I feel like it circles more around policy issues and things like that and not necessarily personal finance. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know why. Like you're saying, Corey, like men will sit around and talk about their investments. I think we actually posted an article about that on one of our, our socials. I don't remember it was, but it was basically saying like, hey, ladies, you should talk about your investments. Like, you know, take some pride in what you're doing and, and chat with other people about what they're doing because maybe they have some good ideas too. But it yeah. is weird. I don't find people talk about money much at work. I think maybe in medicine it's mm -hmm. even more of a taboo topic, but I would have thought being a financial professional that that would be very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's like a very high level conversations if there are conversations. It's not necessarily about personal finances for sure. But yeah, I know I really enjoyed the article that you did write about female investors because I mean, we exist. It's a real thing. <laughs> But there, there's obviously some things that, that women do a little bit differently than men when we're approaching investing. So what are the things that, that you learned that women potentially do different and that other people can potentially learn from? Yeah, I was really surprised about this because um, I had never heard of it just in my general reading and things until I thought about the fact that um, – you know, there the are differences in personality commonly, and, you know, I'm stereotyping. There are certainly exceptions, but um, the overconfidence in young men is really, really typical. And I find it, it's usually the young men at work, I have to say, calm down. You're, not, you're good, but you're not quite as good as you think you are. Just settle <laughs> and you're still learning. And it's the young women that I'm having to say, you're doing really good and give a little pep talk to try and encourage them to blossom in their confidence a little bit. Um, and it, that led me to think that, you know, there's a lot of men online and even the ones that do mention at work are always men about finances. And it's always some... Um, it's quite often something's quite speculative, uh, Bitcoin interest or, you know, the latest hot thing um, that's going on. Um, and it just made me think that my guess would be that, that men would be quite impulsive in, in general um, and that women women are often afraid to get into the, the stock market, which is, a, which is a big problem. But the ones that do actually seem to perform better than men. Um, more often and and the major thing with that is lack of trading frequency so women trade significantly less than men in multiple studies um, and that really is the most powerful factor in the investment return differences they're not chopping and changing they are 
either sticking with um, a simple index fund or what you call dated fund, uh, age target funds, um, or if they're picking individual stocks, they tend to spend longer learning and reading and making decisions carefully and then stick with them for longer. Um, was my impression from the literature that I found. I was surprised how much there actually was that um, backed up my hunch, um, which is interesting. So um, the main things were trading less, um, less overconfidence. They're, they're less likely to take on a lot of risk, which holds women back in actually getting into the market. Um, but when they're in the market, they don't tend to take excessive risk. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. I love that point about the trading frequency. There's so many studies out there that show the less you trade your accounts, heck, even the less you look at your <laughs> accounts, the better off you'll do. I think Warren Buffett, I love one, he has a bunch of great quotes, but one of his best ones is, um, our investment strategy is, is lethargy <laughs> bordering on sloth. <laughs> just buy whatever you think is good and just let it go for 30 years mm -hmm. and 30 years from now it'll probably be worth more no guarantees of course but if it's like you said a diversified index fund or broadly allocated portfolio not some random speculative gamble but a more you know a sound investment then yeah it should should grow in value over a long period of time just let it do its thing i love that we've used the word speculative pre <laughs> Speculative is amazing and such a good descriptor. And I, I do feel like there's so many people that are engaging in that kind of thing without even realizing they're doing it. Like they don't understand that that they're just taking some big risks there. But I'm yeah. sorry about that, Aussie Doc. What were you going to say? Um, oh, there was there was a study, I can't remember which one, but that said that the, the best investors had actually died. When they looked back yeah. at the accounts, they were the dead investors that performed best because they didn't log into their accounts. <laughs> yes. that, I think that was a fidelity study, so wasn't good. it? Of like all of the fidelity accounts or... Right, okay. I feel like yeah. I, yeah, I, I think I've seen that before. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. <laughs> so we have, you know, less trading, less, you know, overconfidence and speculative risk, anything else that the women investors do well that everyone can potentially learn from? Um, those were the, the two, two big, big ones. ones, really, yeah. Um, they were slightly more likely to go with the kind of set funds rather than individual shares as well. And, and I think there's quite a lot of research to say that most investors don't do well picking individuals, individual shares. Yes. Was there anything that, that men do well that everyone could learn from and try and emulate? I, I think not? the main thing is actually getting in and investing um, because most women will fill up their, I don't know if you have um, bank accounts or offset accounts, and they'll hoard cash. And I have to sort of get rid of that tendency a little bit as well because cash feels safe um, and men being willing to take on that bit of risk um, obviously does well for them because if you're not in the game, then you know, you're not getting anything, any returns, are you? Especially not with inflation. For sure. So you gotta have at least that baseline level of confidence and take the leap of faith initially. And then from there. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think we've talked about this a little bit already, but just getting back to the topic of financial literacy, how do you think we can make it more approachable and attainable for everyone? For for folks like us who are trying to get information out there, like how do we make it, I don't know, more palatable? Um, I think... I think really it's it's got to appeal to women and um, a lot of the stuff that is designed to appeal from women makes me cringe completely. Um, uh, I was speaking to another blogger here in Australia the other day and he said, mention this website and uh, that was obviously designed for women and um, it's sort of, it's sort of, uh, I think it's catchphrase with something along the lines of, um, get your financial plan so good that it fits like your favorite pair of jeans or something. And I just thought, oh, it, it doesn't need to be dumbed <laughs> down. Women don't, I believe they don't have a lower IQ than men on average, as far as I know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but not noticeably. I think it might go the other right. way around. Okay. Just. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think it, it's a fine line to walk, isn't it? Trying to appeal with the, to women, but not going overboard with the, oh, women like makeup and shoes and clothes. And we're all like that because maybe the ones that are interested in finance and have some money, maybe, uh, you know, feel a little bit patronized by that kind of stuff. Um, how to make it more approachable. I think really because anybody providing financial education has got a um, a sort of alternate interest as well, like the blog. Obviously, I plan to monetize that. There is a there is yeah you have to sort of be a little bit aware of there's always a conflict of interest in there somewhere with any free information. Um, so I, I feel like it's got to be really in schools and it's got to be unbiased education in schools and from parents, parents that have financial literacy passing them on to their children so that they're getting a basic financial education that's unbiased and then they can use that other information but sort of be more aware of um, the little bits to watch out for that have little conflicts of interest. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm always surprised when we're dealing with really, really young trainees coming out of medical school that have so little financial knowledge. It just seems like, you know, they're on this very specific career path. And there's so much that I think that a medical school, for example, could do for them that would be tailored to their individual circumstances, or maybe not their individual circumstances, but to the circumstances they're likely to face. And it's just, that's it's not really a thing that commonly happens. Once in a great while, I come across an institution where I'm like, wow, you actually got a lot of good information from your institution, and it makes me feel really happy, but it it is not widespread. And I do think that that would be a, a great way to, to start making things better for doctors, at least. That would be amazing to have some information coming through medical school because I think the kind of kids that are attracted into medical school, um, well, they're a bit like my me, myself and my husband often tells me the world isn't made of unicorns and fairies. Um, Aussie Doc, you just have to be a bit more realistic and a little bit more suspicious and a little bit less naive. Uh, so they go in with this naive idea about saving the world um, and saving lives and helping people. and very starry-eyed and um, sort of not really very well prepared at all because then they've got a big, big income and they can um, they, they just don't know what to do with it really <laughs> and they're quite vulnerable. So there's been a lot of scams over the years um, targeting doctors as well 
um, things on Facebook and things like that. So they need to be very aware of that kind of thing. I would say it needs to start way sooner than med school, like get it in elementary schools, grade schools, high school at the latest. Like I remember, and it's, it's not a secret. Like everyone talks about how we need more financial education in schools. Like when I was in high school, I think we had like one day where we talked about credit cards and interest and stuff, but it wasn't like part of the normal curriculum. So if you can establish some of those educational habits earlier and instill that knowledge in people sooner, it'll benefit everyone in society as a whole. What's even more worrying is when that one class is provided by the bank providing the credit card. <laughs> no, yeah, right. This was actually just one of, uh, I forget which uh, class, it was, but oh, the just teacher. the teacher had like an interest in it. It was like, you guys need to learn about this stuff. You're about to graduate in a few months. You need to learn about credit cards and how not to, you know, get in a pile of credit card debt. And this was before... I mean, this was back when a, like a student with no income could open a credit card with a $20,000 limit. Like there weren't all, this was pre-financial crisis before they put some of those restrictions in place. So it's like, um, but yeah, we, we need more uh, education earlier yeah. in, in terms so of finances. Get into trouble with that. I think you need repetition too. You can't hear it once and then internalize it and know how to apply it through the rest of your life. That's not how people learn. How do you think we can get more? Oh. <laughs> um, one is, well, I was thinking you were talking about in the finance profession, but... Um, uh, you know, there has to be both. Yeah, the, the women need to feel welcome to enter a profession. And really, I am um, I'm taking my knowledge of medical specialties that are particularly male dominated and their experience um, in trying to improve it. There's there's not that many women still in senior leadership in medicine. They're they're still underrepresented, but nothing in comparison with the finance. It's far more equitable. Um, but there are certain specialities that are worse than others. Um, women need to feel welcome in that profession. So recruitment campaigns need to include women. Now, I'm not talking about advertising them alongside high heels or something, but actually including women as the role model in the recruitment campaign. Um, and I think people need to be careful about the way they speak to potential um, women that are interested in finance, because um, certainly in surgery, the, the um, bugbear has been people telling junior uh, medical students and junior doctors are, oh, women really oh do you want kids well, you shouldn't do surgery you can't do surgery and have kids um which is completely untrue um but you know that sort of off-putting language can be a big problem so um i think the way we talk to people that are interested in finance and and encourage that among women as well as men um and then um just really raising up women role model the what the odd one woman role model that occurs they sort of should be celebrated and um you know advertised as much as possible to encourage a few more to come through because um when you see those role models you are encouraged a little bit 
Yeah, I think financial services is a really interesting industry, and I'm sure that it's it's different from one country to the next. So I, I actually I don't know how it is in Australia, but I do know that there's a, a perception that it's a lot of work, which it is, and that, you know, women can't put in the hours to make it work because they have other obligations and things like that. But I think that it can be much more flexible than that. And it just kind of depends on where you land. And I think that firms can do a lot on their end to make it more accessible for women and make it a better career fit for them. And I I think like having a a diversity of voices at the firm level with advisors is, is very helpful. Like there's a lot of different voices and obviously not all of our clients are men and it doesn't mean that every man wants to work with a man and every woman wants to work with a woman but we definitely come across women once in a while that that do want to work with a female advisor just because they feel like they can relate better or something like that but i don't know it's a really interesting dynamic there's a lot a lot that you can talk about and you can stick your foot in your mouth and (laughs) like i can stick my foot in my mouth and i am a woman so it's you know it's hard but yeah, we because, have to keep trying. Because because finance is such a male, like traditional male domain, I think women find it harder to speak to men about that um, and express their own, you know, their goals and things like that. Whereas they feel perhaps more able to speak to a woman. I certainly and would feel more comfortable speaking to a woman advisor. And I think that would attract a lot more women investors to be able to speak to women financial advisors. Um, I had a recent experience that was absolutely terrible with a um, property advisory firm. The, The property advisory firm was great, but the first person I interacted with was male who kept speaking over the top of me and um, I found quite condescending and I was really, really put off Um, and you just don't need that. Um, I think firms need to obviously, uh, you know, use maternity leave. That's essential to attract women and it's far, far better supported here in Australia than I believe it is in America. Um, but also paternity, paternity leave. So, you know, men have babies too, and men should have that access to care because some of the stuff is actually societal based, isn't it? That women are expected to do a lot more of the childcare and the home stuff. Um, and if we're going to change that, we're going to have to encourage men to do some more of the childcare as well. Um, so flexible flexibility in allowing men to take parental leave as well as women and flexible work practices so that women and men can work around their their home life as well. I think that has been such a huge thing over the past year, like for for women, like being kind of bumped out of the workforce because they were the ones that had to take on that care. And uh, we experienced it firsthand in our home because, you know, at the beginning, our, our daughter, who's five and a half, was home with us for two and a half months straight. And like the assumption from my husband's work was that he could do the same level of work that he was going to do before. It didn't matter that he was at home with a five and a half year old. So really, I was the one that had to be flexible because that was the expectation for him. And that was really challenging. And I do think that's very common that we don't necessarily give dads the room that they need to parent. Like it's, yeah. it can be really challenging. Yeah. Funny that's the automatic assumption that it will be the, the mother that deals with it all. Um, right. And, and I do think some employers are better careers. than others. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. All of this stuff is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> are they back I at like school this- now? 
What are some? Yes. Yeah. So she actually got to go to preschool last year. She wasn't quite old enough for for public school or kindergarten. And it reopened last July. And we I've never been happier to pay for preschool in my life. I will tell you that. Yes. It becomes quite a luxury to be able to work uninterrupted, doesn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) It's like a treat. (laughs) It does. It does. Yep. That's why I came into the office today rather than working at home with two mm-hmm. little ones. So. Yeah. They don't really understand boundaries, do they? And Yeah. No. <laughs> at all. <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> I had to give evidence for a court case um, recently, and um, that's not unusual. People come in, they get assaulted, and they called the doctor to court, which is incredibly annoying. Um, and ask you basically to read your notes. Um, but they let you give phone evidence a lot of the time, which at least means you don't have to actually rock up to court and get really nervous because I'm not a good public speaker. And the children were home from school because I can't remember whether it was COVID-related or they were sick or something. The children were home from school and they're quite little still. And I said, look, I tried to explain this, the gravity of the situation that there's the whole court listening and if they come in the thing telling me they need the toilet or something ridiculous um (laughs) that's really not good but um luckily the court case didn't go through because the person um uh pleaded guilty but my child came in several times with ridiculous complaints i just thought oh i can't do this from home with kids (laughs) yeah it's hard I feel like everyone over the past year has a story like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I like, we have one more question, I think. for well, you. Yeah, see. go ahead, Corey. Go ahead, no, you go. <laughs> I was just to say, yeah, be mindful of your time to kind of wrap things up. What are some tips you would give your younger self about personal finances or investing? Um, one would be to not ignore my student loans while I was racking them up. Um, uh, I think... I think I fell fell, um, victim to this sort of thought process of, well, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to earn loads of money. It doesn't matter. I'll pay off easy peasy. But actually, um, it doesn't feel so easy when you qualify and you don't earn that much to begin with anyway. Um, So you really want to minimize your loans during um, your medical school. And um, remember that you do actually have to pay every dollar back. Um, and credit is not a good idea until you've learned to manage your finances well already. So I really would stop myself from getting that credit card <laughs> while I was in medical school until I'd worked to, you know, worked out how to manage on, on my, um, meager budget at the time. Um, and also there's no point in, there's absolutely no point in comparing yourself with others. Um, we all start in different places. Some people are more privileged than the other than others um and it's just wasted effort worrying about the fact that somebody else has got more or whatever um it's up to you what you are going to do with the advantages and the disadvantages that you have been handed that's great advice Mm -hmm. love it so where can people find more of you if they want to read more of your stuff if they want to listen to your voice some more uh, I don't have a podcast. Uh, I'm quite an introvert. So uh, I blog quietly behind my screen at Aussie Doc Freedom, um, AussieDocFreedom.com. It's mainly based on Australian stuff, but I am female. We talk a little bit about um, maternity leave and women investing. Um, yeah, come check it out.
Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch for your time. It's great chatting with you. Thank you. Lovely to meet you guys. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram Vanderzanen Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the finitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our financial clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group LLC.